Welcome to Rivers in the Desert International, a revival ministry dedicated to bringing the living waters of God's love to a hurting and dying world. It is our desire as you listen to the following message that the Holy Spirit will fill you afresh and that you would be ignited into a fervency for Jesus. This is the day to be filled with the knowledge of His glory as the waters cover the sea. God is doing something new on planet Earth today, and you and I have the great privilege to be a part of it. We love you. Be blessed. God is an expert. He always shows up when it's the darkest. Hallelujah. And uh, I'm really excited about him. How about you? And so here I am in this college campus, and uh, a couple football players began to pray. They began to get up every morning and pray for the atrocities and the sin that was all around and the debauchery. And God began to visit this campus. Hallelujah. And uh, suddenly, all types of athletes were getting born again. Demons were coming out. All types of wild manifestations of demons coming out of people in the dormitory. Hallelujah. And you would see, say, Peter, Pete, who was the, you know, the center on the, on, the, on the football team. Lord, help me speak English tonight, please. Hallelujah. <laughs> Whew, I'm intoxicated. Yeah, thank you, Lord. So uh, where was I? Oh, yeah, the football player, Pete. And <laughs> so Pete was, you know, he was a pretty bad boy. And then and you look at him the next day, and he's sitting there like, you know, in charge of the Boy Scout Club. I mean, like, what happened to him? And I began to recognize athletes around me getting delivered, getting born again, coming back to the Lord. Hallelujah. And I did not know it, but the glory of God began to descend upon, hallelujah, the athletic dormitory. And so I remember we had just gotten back from the playoffs and our soccer team had lost in the playoffs and everybody was bummed out. And so, make a long story short, we had a party that was just a big crybaby party. Everybody was getting sauced. And anyway... And so I was going back to the dormitory that night. Somebody had to drive me back because I couldn't drive myself. I didn't even know where I left my truck that night. I just <laughs> anyway, I mean, long story short, I needed some help. Hallelujah. And so I got back to the dormitory, and I walked in. and left the door open and uh, in case I had to go to the restroom. And suddenly the door opens up wider, and in walks in two football players. And some of you have heard the story. Some of you haven't, but... One was an offensive lineman, hallelujah, <laughs> and the other one was a fullback. And they looked at me, and they said, Scott, we've come here to tell you about Jesus. And I looked at them and said, I'm Jewish, I don't believe in Jesus. And that didn't deter them at all, hallelujah. And so they opened up the four spiritual laws track. You all ever heard of the four spiritual laws? Well, you've been around longer than I have, hallelujah. The four spiritual laws. And you could tell they were a well-oiled, soul-winning machine. Hallelujah. And they began to tell me about Jesus. And then Frank's fingers were so big that he tried to turn to part two, step two, and he went to step three instead. And him and Steve started fighting with one another. And I felt more comfortable. It was kind of like the synagogue. Hallelujah. People were arguing with one another. 
But I tell you, as they began to talk to me, I felt a third person walk into the room that night. And he's here tonight. Hallelujah. You can call him Paracletos or Comforter, Ruach HaKodesh, whatever you like, language you like to choose. But he's the most misunderstood person of the Godhead. It's the spirit of the living God. Sent to assist us, to teach us, to comfort us, to fill us. To whack us if we need it. Hallelujah. Whatever <laughs> is needed. <laughs> Jesus said, it's good I go away. <laughs> that he comes and takes care of you. Hallelujah. But what's interesting, what drew me to Jesus that night was when the Holy Spirit came in, I knew him even though I didn't know him. I remember him from the days where the rabbis would teach us the Torah. Hallelujah. And we were studying for bar mitzvah. And I remember his presence, even though it was dim, even though they didn't understand who it was. I remember him, hallelujah, because the Jewish people, at least the synagogue I was raised in, we didn't talk about the Spirit of God. We talked about Tiferet Israel, the glory or the beauty of Israel, hallelujah. The Shekinah, hallelujah. Oh, the Kavod Elonai, the glory of God, hallelujah. It was hidden to us. But you could feel his lingering residue in the building. You know, you you have a synagogue and the cantor get up and sing, And you would feel the glory of God. Hallelujah. So that night, as they began to talk to me, and the Holy Spirit began to convict me. I couldn't even look at them. And I prayed a sinner's prayer. Hallelujah. And I felt every bit of darkness come out of me. Hallelujah. It was pretty cool. Hallelujah. I felt squeaky clean for the first time in my life. Hallelujah. And they, they, got, so, I got, they got more excited than I did. They ran down the hall and left the door open. Hallelujah. To go tell all their buddies down there, we got another one. We, I, was, I, was, I was a number to them, okay? I was a decision. Hallelujah. I was a buffalo notch on their rifle that night. We got one, yeah. And he's Jewish. He's a Jew. And I went to sleep that night like a baby. Hallelujah. I finally knew what it meant that the Lord is my shepherd and makes me lie down in green pasture. But about 4 o'clock in the morning, Something else came in the room very spiritual. It was a demon spirit. And it came back with seven more of his buddies. <laughs> and even though the room was dark, this cloud was darker than the, the darkness in the room. And I felt it come at the, at the foot of my bed. And I woke up and I was paralyzed in terror and phobia and fear. And I began to scream out to God, help me. And it's the first time I heard the voice of the Lord. Hallelujah. I've given you my power. Now use it. And I said, get out of here. Out the window, never come back. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I didn't even know the name of Jesus yet. Hallelujah. <laughs> That's kind of my little hobby. I walk into places and I smell that same spirit. And the Lord sometimes says, get him, son. Get him, get him. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Hallelujah. 
But what happened that semester was so many people got born again that there was an aura of the glory over that campus. There was, there was more Christians in the cafeteria than unbelievers at one time. There was an incredible visitation where people were getting caught up into eternity, were being born again. Hallelujah. Prodigals, backsliders coming home. Hallelujah. And we would have Bible studies in the dormitory. We'd have times that we'd fellowship together. And nobody wanted to leave. Nobody wanted to study. Everybody just wanted to go to China or Vietnam or something. Hallelujah. And, and die for Jesus. Hallelujah. <laughs> and we'd sing around and sing these songs, you know, like, Sing hallelujah to the Lord. And then the ladies would enter in. And we'd be like, oh, man, we're in heaven. Woo! Sing hallelujah. <laughs> Remember those songs? <laughs> then somebody would come out with kumbaya and kind of drop the anointing. We'd try to get back up. Okay, let's sing. I exalt thee. <laughs> the sacrifice lamb has been slain. You know, anyway, all those old songs. They're still good, though. Hallelujah. We just thirsted for God. We thirsted for him. Hallelujah. And so I remember one night, um, I was with a bunch of the guys, and we were out in the back of my pickup truck worshiping God. And uh, one of the guys had a guitar out, and we were singing some of those old good Baptist songs, you know. And uh, he was a Bapticostal now, okay. He still kept his Baptist roots somewhat, but... Baptocostal. And he stopped his playing on the guitar, and we we're all looking at a beautiful starry night that night. And he looked up at the stars and he said, Jesus, give us a sign of when you're coming. And we we're like, Yeah. And then suddenly a light began to move on the horizon. And we all saw it. Ooh. Maybe it's an airplane. Maybe it's a Russian spy satellite. What is that thing? And then as we were watching it, within a nanosecond, it went right toward us and came over the top of the truck and stopped, and the whole field was lit up in light, and we all fall in the back of my truck shaking like leaves. You say, what happened? I don't know. But I've never been the same. Hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> hallelujah something happened now all I can say to you say, well, what was that I don't know it only happened one other time so I went back home and uh, I was out praying because my parents wouldn't let me pray in the house you know and uh, my mom would invite me over for steaks when my dad was out of town on a lawsuit somewhere so I'd Come home, and nobody wanted to pray, and they didn't like when I pray. They manifest devils when I pray. So I just get on my scuba tanks and sit in the bottom of my parents' nine-foot section of the pool. Hallelujah. Seriously, it was awesome. Hallelujah. And I would sit underwater and just worship God for about 30, 45 minutes. <laughs> Watch the light rays come through the water, suspended. Hallelujah. <laughs> And every once in a while, I'd see my mother walking around the edge of the pool. Like, What's he doing down there? <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I tried praying in the, in the garden shed one day. And uh, it was so hot in there, you know. And I came out all sweating, you know, like, 
from a sauna, and the neighbor was watching me like, I can't pray anymore. Those people are hearing everything I'm saying. Underwater thing's pretty good. Hallelujah. Can't, nobody can bother you. But I began to develop this quench. I mean, that's unquenchable desire to worship him all the time. Hallelujah. And I would go places and just scream as loud as I could. I love you, Jesus! Ah! That was one way to get a little released. The other way was to go evangelizing every Saturday night. Hallelujah. Every Saturday, no matter how tired you were, no matter what was going on, all of a sudden you get the percolator start coming up. I have somebody for you to witness to tonight, son. Ooh, hallelujah. And so we started a team called Soul Patrol, and we went out and had track attacks. We didn't have time to watch TV, you know? Come on, folks. Hallelujah. Watch out for that thing. Hallelujah. You, you can go into my hotel room. You know what I do to my hotel room? I put the ironing board and all my laundry and everything and turn the TV. There's no way anybody can turn that TV on. Hallelujah. Come on. Amen? Because David said, I'll set no ungodly thing before my eyes. I notice the more I keep my mind pure, hallelujah, the more signs and wonders kick in. Hello. Come on. And today, Americans, the average American has uh, about 108 channels in their cable or satellite TV. What a waste of time. Anyway, getting a little quiet out there now. Hallelujah. I'm trying to help you. No, seriously, I, I have a hard time sitting, having anybody lay hands on me if their hands have been on the controller a lot. Ladies, do your husbands a favor. Take the batteries out of the controller, throw it to the Labrador Retriever. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, you know, we live in an entertainment society and all that stuff, and we think it's godly. It's not godly, folks. Entertainment enters in to attain us. You are what you watch. <gasps> but it's the truth. Come on. Hallelujah. When are we going to wake up? If we would just go back to 19, say, 73, and we would be shocked, even the commercials today. But slowly by slowly, calloused by sin, come on, calloused, getting away a little more, 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 come on, come on, a little more, a little more, no, 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 like a frog in a pot of water, slowly turning up the heat. I don't like devils getting in my brain. How about you? I like the sound of devils crunching under my feet. Hallelujah. I like the smell of napalm in the morning. Hallelujah. And so I heard tonight as we were worshiping, the Lord says, I want to sacrifice. So let's look at Hebrews chapter 10. I'm still feeling a little hindrance out there, some brake pads burning. So as I mentioned cable TV. There we go. Satellite TV. Oh, yeah, I can smell those brake pads burning. Oh, yeah, you can. Oh, they don't want to be convicted, do they? Well, sorry, I've, I, I want to help you. Hallelujah. Come on, I want to help you. Well, the human nature is strange. You know, we got all these toothbrushes and mouthwashes and dental floss, and people still have problems, you know? I mean... 
<laughs> Get all this exercise equipment in our, in our garage and basement. Still have problems, you know. But I want to share this. There's a, you reminded me because you were in Victoria a couple weeks back. Um, we were, were doing revival meetings in, in British Columbia. And the Lord began to preach, to tell me to preach to the people a message they didn't want to hear. And uh, things were, you know, it was a very large church and things were thinning out as they heard preaching about sin and how to get cleaned up. And it was a Monday night service and the pastor says, we're going to take Monday night off. I love Monday nights, by the way. Hallelujah. And we have a street outreach going on in downtown Vancouver. We have an old 1950 school bus retrofitted as a kitchen, soup kitchen, give sandwiches and soup to the... Uh, unemployed to the AIDS victims, the prostitutes, the drug addicts, whatever on the streets, would you like to go? I said, I'd love to go. I don't want to sit around and watch TV. There's nothing on TV to watch anyway. He says, well, great, let's go. So we went out there. There's about 50 of us doing this outreach. They pulled this big blue bus into a parking lot. And as they pulled into this parking lot, I noticed there was, I mean, just tons of semis and generators and Hollywood movie lighting and equipment and security and, you know, on and on and on. And I asked the pastor, I said, what is this? He says, oh, this is the pride and joy of Vancouver. We're known as North Hollywood. I said, I didn't ask you that. What is this? No, no, you understand, Scott. This has brought so much new jobs into our city. We've been praying that God would bring new jobs. Oh, you're praying that God will bring a casino? Come on, give me a break. What is this? This smells like a rat, this thing. And he finally said, well, you know, what you see going on here is the most popular um, TV series on planet Earth's history called The X-Files. I said, aha, I've been wanting to blow the shofar against this outfit for a long time. And what I had known in my travels the last three years before we blew the shofar at the X-Files were young people were getting possessed on Saturday night. I would, their parents would bring the kids into the services, and we'd cast these devils out of them. I mean, I mean, raunchy, unclean spirits coming out of these kids. And I asked the parents, well, how do they get like this? They said, I don't know. And the Lord gave me a word of knowledge. I said, what do they do Saturday night? Well, they're, are they watching the X-Files? How would you know? Well, I don't know. The Holy Ghost told me. There is an impartation from the demonic realm into your children through the X-Files. And so, a lot of us still don't understand this, okay? And the Lord spoke to me and said that science fiction is the camouflaged attempt of Satan, okay, to desensitize our culture and to prep us, prepare us for the visitation of the Antichrist spirit and the false prophet with signs and wonders. It's not about UFOs showing up. Come on. We're talking about demon spirits prepping our culture for a visitation of the false prophet. You've read your Bible, haven't you? Those things are going to happen. They're even happening right now. And so God told me to go against science fiction, go against the whole thing. And so the epicenter of science fiction at that time okay, was the X-Files, hallelujah, and we're right there that night, and then some lady walks by dressed like a vampire or whatever on the way to the, 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 you know, the, the part of the filming we had all the dry ice and the fog scene, and I stopped the whole outreach with the, the believers. I said, stop the soup, stop the sandwiches, we're going to blow the shofar, and all of the young people, all the college aides were like, yes, hallelujah. So we stood in front of the X-Files. The Lord told me to prophesy judgment on the thing. Actually, pro- and then the pastor grabbed my shoulder and said, wait, 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 Scott. Wait, 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 wait. 
before you prophesy, be quiet, pastor. Go sit down. Here's some ice cream. Be quiet. Relax. Quit getting in a phobia. We could get arrested. Be quiet. The best books ever were written in prison. Hallelujah. You ever notice those pastors? They just get, they, uh, they don't have enough RAM to run the program. Something happens to them. Control, alt, delete, control, alt, delete. I mean, anyway, so he grabbed me again. Wait, wait, wait before you blow the show far, I just want to tell you that if you're going to prophesy judgment, you better know what's going on. The X-Files just signed another five-year contract last week, and I said, please, please, somebody take him, give him his medication, take him home. I mean, please. You say, you're doing bad about pastors. He's still a friend of mine. Don't worry about it, okay? Now, you understand this pastor. The reason I'm giving him a hard time is because this pastor, when we're trying to have revival, and he tells me, will you please settle down? We're not ready to be so on fire. And then we go eat Chinese food, okay? And uh, Vancouver, you always know good Chinese food is when the Chinese people are eating in it, okay? And so, we don't, you know, Jewish people like Chinese food. So, anyway, we don't care about MSG or not. This is get us in a Chinese food restaurant. Anyway, so we're eating Chinese food together. And he starts telling me, you know, what I, I can't wait. I, I'm, I'm getting a call from a friend of mine. I'm waiting for a bear tag to come in. I said, a bear tag? He goes, yeah, yeah. I love to go bear, grizzly hunting up in the Canadian Rockies every year. I said, oh, so you're the guy that, what are you into bear hunting for? Do you eat it? Oh, no, yuck, disgusting. What are you, eat, what are you shooting bears for? Goes, oh, the rush, man, the adrenaline. Hello? I said, okay, Pastor, you mean to tell me that your biggest rush in life is hunting grizzlies, okay, living on the edge, but you have a hard time going out and blowing the shofar against the X-Files that's possessing young people worldwide. Where's the problem? Come on, where's the problem? And so anyway, I just want you to know, they just signed a new contract. Five years. Relax, Pastor, please. And the young people are like, ah, praise God, man. Hallelujah. Let's blow this thing. So I began to blow the shofar, and God told me to prophesy that the cancerous growth of the X-Files on the soil of Canada would be removed and the X-Files would shut down. And the last thing the Lord said is, and prophesy that actors would be born again. And everybody shouted, blew the show far away, an awesome time, hallelujah. And this big Neanderthal bodyguard walks up. This guy looks like a Neanderthal species, I'm telling you. He walked up and looked at me and says, man, you guys are doing what's right. You know, we've got a 1950 school bus trying to take care of people. Look at us, all this equipment. I've never seen so much professional Hollywood equipment. Anyway, and so we went home, and three days later, the X-Files disintegrated. Hallelujah. It totally left Vancouver. You can look in our first book, and it's all documented, and they, they're, they're in a, a tailspin now. It's reruns or whatever now. They're never regained. And then three weeks later in those meetings in Vancouver, one of the actors who was one of the police officers came in and got born again. Hallelujah. And he got born again, but it took three days to get all the devils out of him. He sat on the front row for three days. It took us three days to get the demons out of him. And later when he got born again, he says, all I wanted to do was kill you. But I couldn't get out of my chair to strangle you. Well, it's nice to know. Hallelujah. 
He said, I worked all my life to get on into Hollywood and my big break on the X-Files. And I started bringing in the big paychecks, okay? And I had my eyes on that nice Mercedes, you know, I wanted to buy. And then you blow that twisty horn, you know, when I lose my whole job. <laughs> but anyway, he, got, he was a good eye. After he got set free, he got his last paycheck from the X-Files, gave us half. Hallelujah. I like that church growth. How about you? Anyway. And then he, he knew a lot about, you know, technical stuff. And so he eventually migrated back to the board to take care of the board in those revival meetings. After three weeks, he said this, and I want you to hear me tonight, okay? Because nobody here can escape the conviction of the Holy Spirit, okay? He told me, he said, Scott, I know you're preaching about TV and movies and people don't like to hear it. I can smell people, you know, squirming in their chairs back here. I said, I know it, brother. I'm doing my best to help people understand that we live in a fallen age, come on, and Jesus lives inside of us, amen? And if Jesus wants to be your Lord, he should have a say-so what you put inside this temple. And uh, he said, I know it. He said, but you got to preach it harder, brother. And I said, why? He says, you don't understand. He says, I was an actor on the X-Files, and many times when the, there's problems in the set or problems we were missing our part, and the producer's getting mad, whatever, the director and the grips and the lighting guys. He said many times we would all stop. Are you all listening? These are the major actors on the X-Files, okay? We would stop what we were doing. We would grab hands, and we start to chant the name of an Aztec god of child sacrifice. And we called it the flow would come in to the set. It was like an energy flow. It would get onto, your, onto you, and you would be changed into that part you're supposed to be in. And he says, I didn't understand what it was. I just thought it was kind of cool, you know, and whatever. But now I know why the X-Files was the most popular series on planet Earth. It's because it was the spirit of the Antichrist. It's the same spirit that's on Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings. You see, brothers and sisters, we're in a spiritual war. And the Bible says, well, just turn to Romans 16 real quick. This is still preliminary. I smell brake pads burning, so I'm going to go against it. Hallelujah. Break down all resistance. Hallelujah. Because I don't want you to drop dead. Amen? And in the fires are coming back. God's warning his people to live right. And if people don't listen, you know, God may just turn you over to destruction your flesh that your spirit may be saved, take you home. This is not a game, bro. We're not here just to, you know, pray some nice prayers and feel God's presence and have a nice week of meetings and hear some nice things, okay? And to be blessed, prosperity. We're here to see a nation born again. Hallelujah. I've got a wonderful wife and five kids. And, you know, if you don't want revival, I'll go back home tomorrow. You know what I'm saying? I've been spurlunking into this thing for 16 years. Hallelujah. That's how pastors, he saw us on TBN with Juanita, you know. And wow, the glory of God, that was so powerful. And later Juanita asked me, man, that was awesome. What did your wife say about it? Because Dolly was there in the, on the program, on the set. And my wife says, well, on, the, on, a, <laughs> on a scale of one to ten, it was only about a four. And what is like, what, a four? <laughs> a four? I could hardly sit down. That's why I ran off the stage. The fire of God came on me. I says, wait till you get around a seven or eight, sister. Oh, <laughs> You guys don't know this, but when we were on TBN, and we, I, they wanted to do a sound check with the shofar, they said, oh, no, we've heard this before. I said, no, you haven't heard this shofar before. 
And I blew the shofar, and the entire TBN network shut down for 20 minutes worldwide. And they don't know what happened. And I began to pray, oh, God, are you judging TBN right now? Oh, God, are you judging TBN? And then it came back on. And the hunger of the people in the set was incredible. Hallelujah. And that was only about a four. Hallelujah. Because once you get to the glory realm, you're, you're ruined. Amen? There's nothing else will satisfy. You turn on Christian t- on TV, it's like, oh, please. You turn on Christian radio, oh, please, even double time. You've got to find that spontaneous realm. Hallelujah. Of the glory. You've got to find that sweet spot. Hallelujah. Or you're miserable. Oh, oh. It's like eating Israeli food and you come back to America. Yuck. It's not the jet lag. It's coming back eating the food here. Oh, what are you feeding me? You'll know when you go to Israel. You know, you'll know. The food is awesome. Romans 16 and verse 18. It says, for such men are slaves, not of the Lord Jesus Christ, but of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. For the report of your obedience has reached you all, therefore I'm rejoicing over you. I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. And the God of Shalom will soon crush Satan under your feet. And you say, well, I thought Jesus already crushed Satan. He did when he rose from the dead. Hallelujah. But there's still mop-up jobs to do. Amen? It's kind of like the war in Iraq. Okay, we won the war, but we're starting to lose a lot of the battles and mopping things up. Okay? Partly because of pride. Okay? And partly because people didn't listen to the Israelis and told them, you just don't go through thunder runs to Baghdad and declare the war is over. You don't know what the Muslims are like. You don't know that spirit. Come on. Thank God the Israelis are helping us out right now. Hallelujah. Won't go into any more of that. Anyway. And don't get caught up in this anti-war thing, okay? Like I said last night, what is best for Israel? That's, that's what's best. Not what's best for our nation. What's best for Israel? Is it better for Israel that Saddam Hussein be hanged and dead or it's still alive? Israel, you better get used to war right now because what's happened is our culture wants to go back to la-la land. The happy days are here again. Yeah, right. People want to go back to post pre-9-1-11. It's not going to happen. 9-1-1, folks, it was a decision in our history, and we're never going back. I know I'm preaching to the choir here tonight. Amen. Don't you feel don't you feel it nine one one in your spirit? I can feel it. I can feel it in my spirit. Something's going on. You know, I just got back from Sweden. Sweden has opened up the doors to the Muslims. They say in Europe that in ten years there'll be whole cities with a Muslim majority. And you're exactly right. When I came back to America, 
We landed in, in Atlanta, and I started looking at all the people. I said, man, we're, just, we're, we're next. Europe is caving in right now. We're next. And most Americans don't, they know this, but they keep on pushing it off. It's almost like, you know, procrastinating about your, pay, you know, doing your taxes or something. It just, everybody's just kind of pushing stuff off. Well, you know, you know, it's, we can't push it off. Because we as believers are the light. We're the salt in the earth right now. Amen? How many Christian ministries do you know that are attacking terrorism? How many that are really preaching against Islam? Well, what are you going to do when you stand before a firing squad? They say, accept Allah or die. You'll say, Jesus is my Lord. Muhammad is a false prophet. Thus saith the Lord. Hallelujah. Here we have King Abdullah Shmullah, whatever his name is, from Jordan, who gets up and mesmerizes our, our, our Congress three weeks ago or four weeks ago with his speech and blames Israel to be the epicenter, the wellspring of all the problems in the Middle East. And most senators are wonderful, peace, peace. Then comes destruction. We're in a very critical situation, brothers and sisters. Hallelujah. It's not time to get depressed looking tonight. Come on. Hallelujah. We already prayed for that. Hallelujah. We already greased the skids tonight. Hallelujah. (laughs) This is the time to lift up our head because our redemption draws nigh. And this is the time to start getting cleaned up. Your, Your mental area, the renewal of your mind, amen, not to be conformed to this world, amen, and the greatest way to do it is to watch out for entertainment. I can fast track you tonight into this realm. Hallelujah. Glory to God. It, there is a place of purity. Uh, uh, the, great is the mystery of godliness. Hallelujah. God's wanting us to come out from their midst to be separate. And the quickest way is shut down the entertainment because it enters in to attain you. Last time I was here, I told you in 2 Timothy, Paul says we need to escape from the snare of the devil. What is the snare of the devil? The linguistic key, Greek New Testament says the snare of the devil is to be duped by evil influences. Okay? Satan comes in to confuse the senses, okay? And then paralyze the will. Come on, folks, come on. And you know we have a problem when the leading charismatic spirit-filled church in America has a hard time on Larry King even describing if his homosexuality is a sin or not. Okay, so what are we going to do? We're going to go back to the original DNA. Right here it says, I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. You're not to look at things and be entertained by death and sin and dead works. Well, I'm bored. I have nothing to do. Well, go out and cast devils out of your neighbor. Hallelujah. Go knock on doors. Hallelujah. You know, well, nobody wants prayer around here. Everybody's too busy. I know, I, know, I know a place in every city in America that's open to prayer. It's the emergency room at the hospital. Hallelujah. They all want prayer. Hallelujah. You know, some of you young guys, you know, get a police, you know, Shortwave radio, find out where the police and the ambulances are and go and show up. Hallelujah. Pray for the people. Cast devils out. Raise the dead in the car wrecks. I'd do it. Hallelujah. If I do it, you can do it. 
Oh, but we're not built into this. You know what? You know why you're not built into this? It's because our flesh is crazy. Peter says, I, ab- I adjure you as pilgrims and aliens on this earth, abstain from fleshly lusts that wage war against the soul. The word wage war there that Peter uses in 1 Peter is the same Greek word used of Alexander the Great. Military conquest. Your lower nature, my lower nature is on a military conquest to keep us from obeying the Holy Spirit within us. You say, so in Hebrew, God made our body and said, Kitov, it's good. Everybody say, it's good. Our bodies are good. God made our bodies. Say, Kitov. Kitov. Say, Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Glory adios, anyway. <laughs> our bodies are good. Hebrew thought is, it's very holistic. God made our bodies, it's good. Greek thought is, that's where Gnosticism really took off on, is Jesus couldn't come in the flesh because our bodies are evil. They're sinful. Our bodies are good, okay? But within our bodies, since Adam and Eve was called the Yetzer Hara, or the Yetzer Hatov. Say that, Yetzer Hara. It means the evil inclination. When we inherited the lawless act, okay, when death entered in, the wages of sin is death. In Hebrew, it's called the Yetzer Hara. It's the evil inclination or the good inclination. Inside of every human being is the war between the good and the bad, okay? And whichever one you feed the most is the one that wins, because Romans chapter 7, Paul says, well, I was this wretched man I am. You know, I want to do what is right, but I find this other law in my members. That's the Yetzer Hara. Now, what's interesting in Romans, let's go back a couple chapters here. Go back to Romans chapter 8. How y'all doing tonight? He said, I thought you were going to preach on Hebrews 10. Yeah, I will. But I'm, these are Holy Ghost nights, okay? And we're, 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 we're flushing out some body cavities right now. Hallelujah. We're drilling. Hallelujah. We're taking out some wisdom teeth. Okay, Scott, everybody's saying, what do you do in your spare time? Well, my real spare, 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 spare time, hang on. I like to iron. I'm the ironing one in the house. I like to get out wrinkles, man. I just, I, I love to iron. <laughs> I see my son, I said, take the shirt off. I'm going to iron it right now. Come on. Got some big wrinkles there. <laughs> They're just my nature. I like to get wrinkles out. So, you know, I can talk about don't preach, you know, don't watch TV, don't do all these things, don't go to movies, but still not dealing with the issue. I'm dealing with the issue now, okay? We're going after the big uh, stain, okay? I want you to drink some bottle of Holy Ghost Clorox right now, okay? <laughs> Romans 8. It says here in verse 6, actually verse 5, Romans 8, 5, for those who according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, and those according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. So, you're in the flesh if you watch TV too much. You can get your information, your news, whatever, rather report and get off. Let's be honest about it, folks. What is on their thing that entertains us so much? Our flesh loves it. Well, I like to watch Christian TV. Yeah, right. 
turn off, you need to fast from Christian TV, okay? Because most Christian TV I see, um, I won't say anything else. It's prosperity without the cross. They're not teaching us how to die to self. They're teaching us how we can prosper and um, and feel good, feel good message, you know, and tickle our ears, you know, and oh, and everybody's yeah. Maybe we need to do some shofar drive-bys. Any Christian TV stations around here? Are, are you guys disgusted with the TV hosts that have multiple marriages that are Christians? No? How about this side over here? Do you think of a ministry that has problems and decides to get rid of their wife and they're a pastor and then marry somebody else right away, then that doesn't work, then somebody else, that they need to sit down out of Christian ministry for a while? Do you think if somebody doesn't open up their financial books for an audit, that they ought to sit out of ministry for a while? I do. Do you think if somebody just preaches a message that you'll give to but doesn't challenge you is oh but brother I feel the anointing come on ladies don't be deceived I can take you to the synagogue and you'll feel the anointing too that mean we follow the rabbis Romans 8, verse 6, the mindset of the flesh is death. Have you noticed how many forensic death programs are on now? I can't even look at foxnews.com anymore just to get, try to get some information. It is so perverted. We need to, man, how far is Hollywood? We need to do a shofar drive-by or something. Do a road trip on Monday. You want to? I'm really feeling my spirit. We need to do something. Verse 7, because the mind sent the flesh is hostile towards God. It does not subject itself to the law of God. It's not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Everybody here, we have a body. It doesn't mean you're in the flesh. The flesh is the yetzer hara, the evil inclination. Okay? Look at this. However, you're not in the flesh but the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Messiah, he does not belong to him. Now verse 11. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies, okay? Woo! Through the spirit which dwells in you. So then, brethren, you are under, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. 
But if you according to the flesh, live according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit, everybody say by the Spirit, you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all those who prophesy and speak in tongues are the sons of God. No. All those who are being led by the Spirit to put to death the lower nature, these are the sons and daughters of God. And that is what I'm hearing to preach to you guys tonight. To encourage you. To jack you up if it has to be. Hallelujah. Is that God is telling us in this hour to be separate, to come out, to put to death by his spirit the deeds of the body, to have a lifestyle. You know, think about the old Pentecostals. They didn't have electricity. That's why they had Azusa Street, okay, and the Welsh Revival and all these other things showed up. Because they prayed. We have so much entertainment now. Now it goes on in here, Hallelujah. verse 15, you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. Anything that produces fear is not from God. And if you watch the news, you'll get full of fear. If you watch this happen, you'll get full of fear. If I say, let's all go to Israel, how many people would go? Some people would not even go, oh, it's dangerous over there. Ah, oh, you've been, you're listening to the wrong thing, huh? Now, go with me to the book of Galatians. Galatians, chapter 5, and verse 16. I say, walk by the Spirit, and you'll not carry out the desire of the flesh. Now, let's not underestimate this desire, this Yetzirah, this lower nature, because the Bible says that it is on a military conquest. A campaign against our spirit. It goes on and says here, verse 17, For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. These are in opposition to one another, that you may not do with the things that you please. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. It sounds like modern-day American entertainment, doesn't it? So why do we want devils to entertain us? I don't understand it. Enmity, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions. Sounds like talk radio to me. Sounds like Rush Limbaugh to me. Making money of political division and strife. Envies, drunkenness, carousing. Sounds like uh, Super Bowl commercials to me. Oh, excuse me, Super Bail. So what are we going to do? You're going to sit back and just, you know, be nice and wait till I leave and go back to your lifestyle again? Or do you really want to rise up and make a difference? Hallelujah. That's all he's looking for is people that want to walk in the Spirit. And he'll do the rest. Now, go back to Hebrews 10 now. So I heard tonight during worship, he says, I want you to give me a sacrifice. And may I have talked about these things when I was here last time. But let's center on, in it, on again 
on it again tonight. And it says in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 2, Otherwise they would not have ceased to be offered because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have a consciousness of sin. I want you to write down tonight consciousness. Now you'll notice when Paul was before King Agrippa or Festus or he was on trial for the faith of the fathers and the resurrection of the dead, one thing he said three times in the book of Acts was, I, have, I stand before you and God with a clean conscience. And I want tonight to get the windshield wiper going. Hallelujah. And to clean your windshield and to tell you the most powerful weapon you possess to turn the tide of the battle against the flesh and the enemy is a clean conscience. Because if you go out and keep and, and, and totally do opposite what God's telling you tonight, what the scriptures are telling you, and what I'm trying to exhort you on, okay, you'll come back into a knowledge of sin and a consciousness of sin. And it's going to take another worship service, another anointing, hallelujah, another word from heaven to break you free again where you feel like you really are born again and you feel his presence again. The ebbs and flows of the Christian American life, okay, in and out of sin all the time, okay, and just think God is just some big sugar daddy. You know, I'll come and confess my sins, okay, and I'll be forgiven, okay, and oh, I'll put on that worship tape until I feel good, okay, and you know, I, I, it's time to grow up, Amen. And to get into a place of Hebrews chapter 6 maturity that we are no longer laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works. Amen? I'm going to tell you something. There's nothing like a clean conscience. Nothing. Everybody say, clean conscience. Now, I would not be preaching anything to you that I do not live. But I'm going to tell you the results of a clean conscience. When God told me to fast from movies and TV and all these things in the mid-90s, it took me a while to detox from it, okay? And the Lord says, he says, do you want, do you want to be used by me? I said, yeah, Lord, I want to be used. Yeah, yeah. You want to see miracles? You want to see the dead raised? Yeah, 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 yeah. I want you to begin to fast from these things. And he gave me an option. And I said, I want, I want everything you have. And so I began to pray and, and began to fast, hallelujah, and go through that withdrawal and the detox until I got to a place that he was my entertainment, hallelujah. And if I felt any, any type of, um, you know, boredom, I would go out and witness, hallelujah. Witness to the lady at McDonald's and demons manifest, hallelujah. And my son, wow, but that's cool. Can we do this more? That's a lot more fun. Hallelujah. So it was in that place that God began to bring my mind back to virgin state. And I began to lose consciousness of past rebellious acts I had done. Even to the place where people would say, the fellowship of other believers, oh yeah, I remember that one movie? And I'm like, no, not really. God began to erase from my hard drive every bit of data Every bit of signature. Come on. I no longer was interfacing with entertainment. The first thing it began to do in my life was, first of all, was I noticed an increase in the anointing. Second, I noticed an increase in love with my wife with one another, okay? I noticed an increase in protection on my family. Hallelujah. I noticed another big thing. I've not been sick for many years. I mean, I look in the mirror, I got gray hair, but I feel like I'm 23 years old. Hallelujah. 
I've not been, I don't know how long it's been, I've been sick. I don't have any prescription medication. I have nothing. I got toothpaste, dental floss. But even then, God healed me. I went to the dentist. And he says, I, I got to pull one of your teeth. You got a big hole, you got a nine, you know, put that little thing up there. So you got nine millimeter hole there. And I says, no, you're going to pull my teeth. I'm going to go pray. He laughed. Oh, I'm from Harvard University. Oh, I don't care if you've been Harvard schmarvard, okay? I, Jesus is a better dentist than you are. Well, I'm a Catholic. I go to Catholic church. Don't you say I'm not a Christian. I didn't say you're not a Christian. I'm just saying that you're an egghead, okay? You've got a lot of brain tissue up here, okay? And I walk in the door. You just see numbers. You just see numbers on me, okay? You see dollar bill signs, okay? And I was ready to, I was ready to just go find another dentist. And the Lord says, no, I want, I want you to convict him, Okay? And so I found the dental hygienist. She was like, oh, praise God. I've been praying. I go to Pentecostal church. I'm so excited. I've been trying to witness this guy for years. I've been asking God to send somebody. Well, you're looking at him, sister. Hallelujah. And don't be afraid of losing your job either. This guy is a control freak, okay? We're going to get him. And so he knew I was doing revival meetings, and he would ask things, you know, always, oh, what about Jim Baker? Or what about Jimmy Swagger? No, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the demons manifesting, you know? So I just start praying in tongues with this guy. And I told him, I said, listen, I don't have time, you know, to do a bunch of work, and I want, I want you to do everything in the first visit. Well, uh, no, no, just do it, okay? So anyway, so it took pictures, you know, and whatever, and we were getting ready to do something. Oh, yeah, it was pulling the wisdom teeth. I needed wisdom teeth pulled. And um, so I told him to pull all four at once. Hallelujah. And, uh, hey, man, get it over with. Let's go forward. Hallelujah. And so I got real drunk in the spirit during the process. I started, the Holy Ghost came in. I started laughing in the chair. And the power of God went down into the hallway and the receptionist and all the other dentists, hallelujah, and all the patients were getting hit by the Holy Ghost. And so they nicknamed me Reverend Laughter, hallelujah. So I came back a few weeks later to get some stitches removed, and he still wanted to pull this one tooth. I said, you ain't touching it. Do x-rays again. He went back and did x-rays, and he flipped out. What church do you go to? I've got to visit your church. What happened, buddy? What's the rock? What's the 180? What's going on here? Look at your x-rays. See here? And look at this x-ray. You've had total bone growth come back. I believe in miracles. Had a chance to witness to him, whatever. But, you know, you get to a point you want to just kind of like grab somebody and get them born again. But you can't. You, they had a free will, you know. You do your best to <laughs> scare the snot out of them. Hallelujah. <laughs> this is available to every person. Hallelujah. It's not because I went to a conference and had hands laid on me so much my hair started to recede. It wasn't that. It wasn't because I went to all the revival centers and read all the books. And Come on, hallelujah. You know what it was? It wasn't, it wasn't a 40-day fast. Everybody say, praise God. Hallelujah. It's a residue of purity. A clean conscience. Hallelujah. One more, go to the scripture here. I know, we're beating it hard. Come on, hallelujah. Well, we got to hear this stuff, folks. We're in war. Hallelujah. 
You know, when you have no consciousness of sin, it produces a boldness like you can never imagine. Hallelujah. Some of you have heard this testimony, some of you have not. This summer we were in, uh, let, me, let me back up because we need to pray about this this week, uh, about bin Laden and all this. I've been getting back in my spirit. We need to keep pressure on bin Laden. Hallelujah. Oh, Benny, we're coming after you. <laughs> and let me just back up and tell you what happened. Um, my wife, Dalit, uh, she had a dream uh, three or four years ago, I forget the exact date, of where bin Laden is. Where in Afghanistan, the Pakistan border, the name of the city, where in the city, everything. And she wrote the dream down, and she kept it, and we've been looking for somebody to share it with. Because we last we heard it was at $25 million or $50 million reward. And there's still a bounty out there. Come on, hallelujah. And I thought, man, that's what we need, hallelujah. We could really do some damage to the kingdom of darkness, $50 million. How about you? And so she's kept it real close. We're trying to find out who to talk to. And so one day we were, um, it's, it's actually, it was a year ago this month. Or a year ago last month. Anyway, uh, we're in Atlanta, and Dalit has this rush. I got to go shopping. You, uh, is this God? <laughs> no, no, I just feel like we got to go downtown and go shopping. Okay, let's go. So we went shopping, and we pulled into the, the shopping center, and there's all these uh, secret service black suburbans, you know, and there's snipers on the roof. And we go, ah, oh, it feels like Israel here. What's going on, you know? And uh, <laughs> most people get scared. We're like, praise God, something's going on. So we walk up, and everybody's, you know, you walk into the store, and people act like they're shopping, and they got these little clear wires up behind their ear, you know, and they're talking to their hands, you know. And <laughs> it's kind of fun to look to see who's who, you know. And so Dali goes upstairs to the women's section and returns something, and I'm talking to this guy. And suddenly, all these people walk by real quick, and uh, you could tell somebody important was in the middle of them. And the guy says, oh, look, man, it's Condoleezza Rice, the Secretary of State. And so she goes on, and so Dalit comes down a few minutes later and says, okay, let's go now. I said, guess what? I goes, Condoleezza Rice is here. Oh, I've heard that name. Who is she? I said, it's, it's, it's the Secretary of State. Oh, George Bush's personal secretary? I said, no, hey, and it's not like Israel. This is different. Secretary of State does not do, you know, word, okay? Does not do lotus. I mean, does not take notes. It's, it's different here, okay? Oh, you know what? I've got to tell her about my dream about bin Laden. I said, now? Right now, let's do it. I said, let me have your, because she's wearing a long trench coat and two big bags, okay? I said, let me have your coat. No, no, I'm fine. It's okay. No, honey, you can't walk up here with that coat on. And so, you know, we're kind of like, you know, having a discussion. Give me the coat. <laughs> People looking around. No, no, it's okay, okay. So we run upstairs to the women's section, and we can't find her up there. And I'm in the women's section, and I have a word of knowledge from heaven. It came inside of me. It was so loud. And the Lord said, she's not in the women's section. She's downstairs in the shoe department. Of course, that's where Condoleezza is, in the shoe department, of course. So we go up to the shoe department, and I'm walking up, and all of a sudden, all the Secret Service come toward me and look at me like, you ain't going in here. They kind of smile and have that look, you know. And I said, honey, the, she goes, it's okay. I may have your bags. No, it's okay. 
And she walks up with the bags and a trench coat, and all the Secret Service part like the Red Sea. Oh, come on, ma'am, come on. I'm like. And then she walks up to Condoleezza Rice, and they start talking as though they're best friends from high school. I'm sorry, I'm watching all this, like. And then we walk out, okay, it's done. Did you tell her? No, I didn't tell her where he is. But it's done. Okay, let's go. Let's go home. So 24 hours later, we get a phone call from the Pentagon from a full bird colonel. Hallelujah. He introduces himself to us. How'd you get my phone number? Anyway, anyway, we won't go into all that. Hey, guys, you listening tonight? Hallelujah. Jesus loves you. Anyway, um, <laughs> they're listening. <laughs> Talk about Jesus all the time. Hallelujah. And so this full bird colonel calls, and I start, he starts asking me questions, so I ask him a question. That's always a Jewish thing, okay? If somebody asks you a question, you ask them a question back, okay? And so anyway, after a while, we get talking and find out that he is in charge of the unit at that time tracking and trying to find bin Laden. And he's leaving in 24 hours for Afghanistan. And we got talking a little more, hallelujah. And so we talked for three hours, why? Dalit's dream was three hours long? No, not at all. Hallelujah. Uh, Dalit kept on giving them a little information, and they go, okay, now tell us some more now. And she goes, now what about the $50 million reward? Good Jewish wife I have. Hallelujah. <laughs> and so the guy get frustrated. He'd come another different angle, and Dalit just like, okay, coming around this door now. And it was so funny. I wish I had tape recorded the message. So finally, after three hours, they agreed Okay, and uh, we got it notarized, and we got an agreement, you know, that if he has found this location, that we would have my wire, money wired to our account. So anyway, so I haven't talked to this guy for a long time. And so we went, as you know, this last summer uh, in July, uh, Israel started having massive Hezbollah rockets, attacks, katushas, okay, upon their northern border. And we said, we got to go help them. Hallelujah. Because what I heard in the first battle report is that the Hezbollah soldiers were coming up out of nowhere, were appearing like, kind of like, you know, uh, Iwo Jima, Guadalcanal, where the Japanese would hide. You know, real tremendous guerrilla warfare. And so Israeli soldiers were up against these guerrilla warfare tactics of the Hezbollah. But what caught my attention in one of the reports on Depka files was one of the Israeli officers said, they came out of nowhere, and they fought against us like lions. We have never encountered ever an enemy in Israel's history that fought like that. And I knew right away there were demons. I knew it. Are you all with me tonight? Come on. You know, people can be so possessed that they can disappear and reappear somebody else, somewhere else. You know, people can have supernatural strength, break chains like the, de- guard, uh, the demon of the uh, gathering demoniac. Are you with me tonight? I see them on the streets all the time. People with supernatural strength, multiple personalities, okay? And uh, I have an African friend. He says, oh, it's oh yeah, the witch doctors would appear as a cat, you know, and disappear and come back somewhere else, you know, like a moose. I mean, not a moose, but, a, you know, a lion or a black panther or something. Says, we see it all the time. You Americans don't believe this stuff. Yeah, yeah, we believe it, brother. We just watch it on TV, you know. That's why we like to watch it. You know, we pay for all this stuff, you know. 
So I knew in my spirit that the Hezbollah were moving in, in the spirit of the underworld. Because the Gadarene demoniac who had a legion of demons that nobody could, you know, control is just a few, it's just a half a day's walk to Lebanon. It's not very far, the Gadarene area, okay? So that same spirit is there. And then the next report I heard was that they captured one of the Hezbollah officers. And as they interrogated him, they found out that he's a young man. He was taken by the Hezbollah to Iran to be trained. And to become an officer in the Hezbollah, he went through a certain initiation, and he called it a brainwashing ceremony. That's where the demons came in. And so here Israeli soldiers are taking on an enemy that has supernatural strength. Come on, 3,000 soldiers standing up to the entire Israeli army. Come on, folks. Supernatural evasive ability. They were speaking fluent Hebrew. You know, demons can speak other languages. You know that, don't you? And so we know we had to be there to neutralize them by blowing the shofar and prophesying. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I can't wait to get back to Israel. Somebody send me to Tehran. Hallelujah. If you're getting fear inside, it's because you got a knowledge of sin. There comes a place of a sweetness, the sweet, the sweet virginity, hallelujah, of no conscience of sin, where God comes into that, hallelujah, and you rise up as a mighty, mighty Rambo or Ramboette. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It was awesome blowing the shofar up there. Hallelujah. We have, fo- we, we have footage that Fox News won. We wouldn't even give it to him. I refuse to give it to him. It's incredible. Hallelujah. We'd be sitting there. At a, everywhere we went, that's like the devil's trying to take us out with the katushas. We were there, and we're, we're taking pictures of this artillery position firing, and there's a big um, pallet, like the size of this, but even bigger, of all types of uh, artillery shells. And the Lord says, get out of here now. So we got in the car and we drove away. And as soon as we left, a Katusha came, hit the pallet, exploded, and many Israeli soldiers were killed and wounded. Everywhere we went, this happened. But we felt no fear. All of us were like in a bubble of protection. Glory to God. I love it. And so, blowing the shofar and, and just this sense of, I always had this sense that people were watching us. Because nobody was up there. You know, a million citizens were evacuated of the north of Israel. We're the only ones up there with the special forces. The, the special forces drive in through a special gate into Lebanon. We follow them in our, rental, in our rental car. Hallelujah. Another day at the office. Hallelujah. What are you guys doing here? We've come to tell you about Jesus. Oh, thank you. And so I always felt somebody was watching us. I didn't know how I felt that. And so when I came back to the States in October, uh, this colonel, remember I told you about the colonel who was tracking bin Laden, got a phone call. And we started talking. And he said to me, your wife's dream was exactly like we saw it. You catch him? No, we haven't caught him yet. But we, we scoped out the location, where in the city you told, what the building was used for, and it's exactly even to the pictures on the wall. We have it under surveillance right now. I said, hallelujah. And then he said this to me. He says, I was watching you in Lebanon. What? You're watching me in Lebanon? 
He says, I can't tell you how we know, but I'll say this, that we had boots on the ground that were watching how Israel was using some of our weaponry. And we had a unit, and we, were, and we saw you on the border. I remember. I remember. Yeah. It was awesome, man. We are casting devils. And this is what he said to me. I wish we could get Christians to this level. That's, all, I mean, that's what it's all about right now. He said to me, he says, oh, I'm trying to get to the exact quotation. If I get to my website, I can give you the exact quotation. But he said this. He said, I've been in the military for 37 years. I'm about to retire. And he says, I've never seen a group of people with such bravery and courage to attack the enemy. Unarmed. He said, I wish we had more divisions of soldiers like you. He says, I, he says, when you blew that shofar, you have no idea what happened in the war in Lebanon. He says, everything changed from that moment on. And then he said this, which really, he says, when you sound that shofar, I believe more power is released than the entire arsenal of the United States Army. I went, wow. Man, would you like to be my board of director? I need some board members talking to me like that. <laughs> they get to be pastors saying, well, brother Scott, can you just be a little easy on that TV stuff, you know? People are going to watch it anyway. And you know this whole thing. Well, you just got to go work for the Red Cross. United nothing. But he said that, and he said, this is a colonel, okay? And he said to me, he says, I wish we had more people who were courageous like this. And then I realized, wow, where did that courage come from? Because I wasn't like this before. You know where it came from? Came back to exactly what I'm talking about here. Look at, go with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. How y'all doing tonight? I want to see warriors raised up. Oh, Benny, we're coming after you. Look at chapter 10, verse 3 first. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Now, we, we have right now a mission, okay? Everybody listen carefully. An Israeli sat next to me on the airplane coming back from Sweden, and he told me, we all know this, but for, hear it from his mouth. And he wasn't in a secret unit, and we didn't talk about, about it too much. But he said this. He said, listen, the number one problem facing Israel and the world today is not Iran, it's not the people of Iran, it is the spiritual leaders of Iran. And I said, you got it exactly right. Prince of Persia. What? The prince of Persia that took on Daniel. Come on. Remember that? That same prince wants to bring another holocaust to the Jewish people. And America's next. And our military, our intelligence, our CIA, I don't know where they've been, okay? They, come on folks, it's like our nation is being humbled by a shadowy band of serial killers that call themselves Muslims. Terrorists, okay? Why can't we take this out? Because it's a spiritual war. This is not a conventional warfare. Come on, are you with me? This is an asymmetrical war in the spirit by people that at any time can become demon-possessed. A sleeper cell is not necessarily somebody 
that's being trained that can attack, okay? A sleeper cell really is a Muslim man from Pakistan who owns a gas station down the street, okay, and been here all of his life, so to speak, and raised his kids, suddenly starts getting angry, okay, and starts to visit some website on the web, okay, and that spirit enters into him, and he becomes a terrorist overnight, okay? It is a demon spirit, and you and I have power over it. And what are we doing about it? You can't cast them out because they're not they're going to say to you, hey, Jesus we know and Paul we know, we don't know you. You've got to get to a place that you're not walking in the flesh. Hey, we all live in a body, okay? But you're letting the Holy Ghost take over and you're living a lifestyle of death to self. And it says here, verse 4, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. The Greek word for fortress here in the Septuagint is used in the Egyptian papyri of prison camps. Hallelujah. We're called to go in and break people out of prison camps. Oh! Now the next word here, verse 5, we're destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. So we see here that the main strongholds in California are not the satanic headquarters somewhere. The main strongholds is in people's minds. And through the word of God, we get people to start thinking different, hallelujah, and flushing out the enemy's strongholds, people can rise up. It's that simple. It really is. It's that simple. What do you think science fiction is? What do you think Harry Potter? You know, Harry Potter outsold the Bible last year. It's not because they had a great marketing either. It's because people want it. People are fascinated with the dark realm. There's so much Buddhism and such meditation and so much stuff being just taken into our society. Why is this happening, okay? It's because we live in the last days. And Satan, like a dragon, is releasing the vomit, the flood of vomit upon planet Earth right now. You need to wake up, brothers and sisters. Don't wake up when you start hearing the sirens going off. You got to wake up now. We got to go to action now. Oh! And so it says here that we have these fortresses that can be taken down, pulled down. Hallelujah. Now we'll look at chapter 11 now. It's very interesting what Paul says here. He says in verse 2 I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I betrothed you to one husband, that to Messiah, that I might present you a pure virgin. But I'm afraid lest as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, you're what? This is a heart or mind. Your mind should be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. It's not the battle for your heart. You're born again. It's our minds. And Satan comes in like a serpent. It's hard to track serpents. Now, I had a dream before I came here, and it's a warning dream for every one of us. I had a dream uh, last week that I was walking in the street of California. I don't know if it was Fresno or this city, but it was that, you know, just that you can, you know, it's California weather. It was beautiful. It was like, wow. The architecture is like going downtown here, you know. It just, I knew I was in California, and I was walking down a sidewalk just enjoying, you know, just a beautiful day, beautiful weather, and I wasn't paying attention to this, where the sidewalk was going. I was just going along the sidewalk, you know. And the sidewalk ended up into a satanic bookstore. 
And once, the, and I didn't, uh, before I could even stop, I was already in the store, okay? And I wanted to get out, and all these demon-possessed people began to, like, fight against me. And because I was in their territory, I couldn't break out with a strong anointing against them, okay? And then nightfall came, and the next wave of demons began to come. And I literally had to climb out of the roof onto the top of the um, the roof to jump a building to get out of the place, okay? And I woke up, and I said, Lord, what's going on here? And he said, tell the people in California, everybody listen, please. Tell the people in California, pay attention to how you're walking right now. Because if you're not paying attention, you're going to end up into a situation that's going to be very hard for you to get out of spiritually. Meaning, Satan has crafted the entire infrastructure, okay, of our culture to lead us into captivity. The sidewalks themselves, you think it's just a nice walk down the park. The sidewalks themselves are leading you into a place where Satan inhabits. And we got to jump the curb. Hallelujah. That was a warning, okay? And I don't have all the interpretation to it. Maybe we'll go blow the shofar and I'll see that place. Hallelujah. Do a counterattack. But it was really interesting how even though they couldn't capture me, these demon-possessed people, I couldn't take them on either. I was in their territory. I had compromised. The Bible says, be careful how you walk, neither to the right to the left. You keep your eyes straight ahead of you, okay? And I was just caught up in the beautiful culture and the scenery of California, you know, and didn't know that the sidewalk had led me right into the hornet's nest. So, brothers and sisters, come on. We are in a battle right now, and we can win this battle, Okay? Now, it says here, this is how we can win. It says in verse 3, that our minds would not be led astray by the simplicity and purity of devotion. There's got to be a purity. There's got to be a place. I personally go through all my kids, uh, you know, what their CDs or their books, you know, even the books, you know, that they, they order at school. I go through it all. You, know I mean? you can't trust nothing. And we've trained our kids. We didn't take them out of you know, public school and put them in a Christian environment, okay? We left them in public school because it's not the children's program, it's not the church, it's not the Christian schools that make your kid a Christian. It's you, the parents, okay, that live the walk, amen? So they're doing good, and they know the difference between a devil and a religious devil, hallelujah. They know the difference between a camouflage Christian and a real Christian, Okay. <laughs> But again, the thing is, is that um, there's almost like a heightened attack for the minds of our children. Harry Potter is nothing more than Satan's organized. It's not even camouflage. It's a blatant attack to, to disciple the generation into witchcraft and sorcery. That's what it is. So we've got to rise up against it. Amen? Teach these guys how to cast out devils. Amen? Woo! really important that we learn how to do this, and the way to do it is through a purified mind, okay? And uh, you say, well, what about video games? I'm glad you asked. Hallelujah. You go to the video stores and just feel the spirit when you walk in. The Xbox, come on, all that stuff. It's, it, it is a concerted attack for the mind of our culture right now. The soul of Europe has already been 
degraded to the point. America's next. Canada is already adrift. I think God wants to do something. I think he wants to do something. Hallelujah. Whoo, how y'all doing tonight? Go to Luke now. Let me show you something else about demon warfare, casting out devils. Now, we're not looking for devils behind every bush, but we are, <laughs> we are definitely not backing down from any devils. Now, look at verse 17 of chapter 10 as we start to wind up tonight, okay? I didn't even get to Hebrews 10 yet. I only really want to preach on Hebrews 10, but we got too many people watching TV. We've got to get them delivered first. I love you. You love me. Come on, you go to the dentist's office and he does this. You don't get up and punch him in the mouth. You actually pay him to do what he's doing, right? You go to the doctor and get that wart burned off and you don't get all mad and sue him. So why, is it, why can't you come to church and get corrected? I want to come to church and I want somebody speaking in my life where I have a blind spot. I mean, I, I, I want to be prepared for battle. Hallelujah. I already know God loves me. Hallelujah. I already know John 3.16 by heart. Hallelujah. Uh, but I want to hear a word from heaven. Hallelujah. To keep me on course. Now Luke chapter 10 is a very fascinating account because Jesus said, send out the 70 even before he rose from the dead and gave him authority over demons. Amen. To heal the sick, raise the dead, all those good things. Right? Now it says here in verse 17, the 70 returned with what? Joy. You know, why, you know why there's not more deliverance going on in churches? Because people are not doing it the right way. They're getting slimed. And they're like, ooh, I don't want to be involved in that again. I felt so bad for three days after that demons came out of that person. And plus they threw up all that green pea soup on our carpet. Okay, first of all, the reason they threw up the green pea soup is because you let them. <laughs> and second, the reason you feel slimed is because they got entry into you, Okay. When you do demons and deliverance, you should have great joy. Now, I don't have time to teach on it, but I want to encourage everybody here to get a tape series by one of the greatest warriors of our generation named Lester Summerall. Lester Summerall has an awesome tape series that he came to when I was at Bible school, and they taught, he taught a whole week on demons and deliverance. Now, if you know, he used to travel with Howard Carter in the early years, and they used to travel around the world teaching on just the gifts of the Spirit. And everywhere he went, these demons would manifest out of people. In Asia and China and the Philippines, amazing stories, okay? And he finally, I finally got away from that Asian disease, you know. And then he came to Europe, and the people started manifesting devils too. And he's been called into, like, you know, court cases where there's been a murder or something horrible's happened. And the guy is declaring uh, insanity. And judges have actually asked him to come in and say, is this insanity or demons? And he would say, demons, kill the guy. <gasps> kill him. He wants the devils. Don't waste our taxpayer money taking care of him in prison. Go ahead and execute him. It's amazing, huh? Okay, where is that in the Bible? Well, if you read the Bible, you'll see that God told him to liquidate people, okay? Because he couldn't get the devils out of him pre-New Testament, so just liquidate all the Amalekites and the Moabites and 
And it's going to happen again. God's coming back to clean the earth, folks. Well, God is good all the time. God is good. God's definition for his goodness is not our definition of goodness. Oh, give thanks to God for he is good. His mercy endures forever. Next verse, Psalm 23. To him who destroys kings in his wrath. To him who's good, his mercy endures forever. There's some things about God you just let God be God, okay? Let God arise, let his enemies be splattered. Excuse me, scattered. Let's key in on this verse now. Okay, verse 17. And the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. This is pre-resurrection. Okay? And he said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I give you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions, to tread over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall injure you. Now, it's interesting here that I've always thought that when they came back with joy and Jesus said, I was watching Satan fall from, like, from heaven like lightning, I always, you know, whatever, you know, your minds are, our minds sometimes are just so stupid, you know. It's like, you know, I always pictured how Goliath and what it looked like when David killed Goliath. And then I went to Israel and realized, man, my mind has been playing tricks on me. This, thing was, this field is not the field with When you go to Israel, you're going to have to reread your Bible, by the way. I didn't tell you all that. Because you have a picture of what, this is what Galilee looks like, and this is where Jesus cast out devils, and this is where Jesus walked in the water, and this is where, you know, this happened. This is where Joshua called the sun to stand still. And you get there, and you see it, and you're like, oh, Brother Scott, are you depressed? Are you okay? Uh, uh." My Sunday school teacher lied to me. All those pictures of Israel, all lies, all those imaginations, all those, it's not you got to go to the Bible, man. The Bible land and see, see what it's like. Exactly, sister. Hallelujah. It's like it's a request. It, it, it's a prerequisite for every Christian. Well, Brother Scott, don't brother me. Come on, hallelujah. Go with us. Now, I always thought eons ago <coughs> that when Jesus saw these guys casting out devils, And he said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning, that eons ago, that somewhere in the rebellion in heaven, and Satan, the dragon, swept his tail and swept a third of the angels with him, and they went down to earth, that he came, fell from the earth like lightning, and that happened, you know, whenever. But then I was reading the linguistic key to the Greek New Testament and saw that the verb exchange here is not in the past tense. Uh It should be translated like this. When you guys were casting out devils, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Linguistic key actually says, one commentator says, every expulsion of demons means a fall of Satan. Meaning every time a leper is healed, every time somebody's raised from the dead, Every time you go into a house and speak shalom to it, peace to it, hallelujah, and your peace stays there. Every time you heal the sick, come on, folks, hallelujah, Satan's infrastructure is falling. And there's coming a day, hallelujah, 
that he himself was going to fall to the earth, Revelation 12, and Noah's time is short and be in great wrath. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony and did not even fear. Come on. They didn't even love their life unto death. This is what we're moving into as we pray, as we cast out devils. Come on. As we move in the spirit. Satan's infrastructure over this city begins to collapse until eventually the head honcho, hallelujah, glory adios, implodes, okay? And that's when martyrdom starts kicking in because he knows his time is short. Hallelujah. There's great joy in casting out devils, but there's a greater joy in knowing your, your name's written in the book of life. Hallelujah. Now, Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10 and verse 2. Otherwise, they would not have ceased to be offered because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have a conscience of sin. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Therefore, when he comes to the world, he says, Sacrifice and offerings thou hast not desired, but a body thou hast prepared for me. Everybody underline or write on your, in your notepad the word body. Because the word body is not in the original Hebrew. It's put there in, by the Septuagint translation. I'll show you why in just a moment. Verse 6, it says, In whole burnt offerings and sacrifice for sin, thou hast taken no pleasure. It's almost like the Catholic Church lets people do the Mardi Gras and do all these things, okay, to keep them in a perpetual state of always consciousness of sin. You know, religious leaders will control you by t- always reminding you of your past. Come on, folks. God says, Behold, I make all things new. May your sins be red as scarlet, they should be white as snow. Hallelujah! When the devil or any person has the devil in them, reminds you of your past, start reminding them of their future. Hallelujah! Start reading Revelation 19 to them. <laughs> okay. But there's more than just being forgiven, okay? A very powerful principle here. If you notice, connected with this principle is the ultimate battle, and verse 13 is the ultimate battle. It's saying that Jesus, from that time onward, are wait, is waiting until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. That's a quotation from Psalms 110, the number one messianic psalm in the Bible, that in the, in the day of his wrath, he is looking for people to drink the water like Gideon did by the Waybrook. His people were volunteered freely in the day of his army, his power. Hallelujah. He's waiting for his enemies to be put under his feet. Now, remember I, we talked about Romans earlier. That if your mind is clean, okay, you're innocent in what is evil, wise in what is good, that the God of peace shall crush Satan under your feet. There's still a crushing process Jesus wants to do. He, there's, come on, he still wants to take his enemies and put them under his feet, which we are his feet, okay? So it's connected here with a sacrifice. What is this sacrifice? First of all, it has to do with the blood of Jesus and cleansing our consciousness, not just being forgiven to go to heaven, our consciousness to be cleansed from sin. You don't need to drink wine. I catch up. There is no high like the most high. There is no, oh. 
There is no high like living clean. Hallelujah. It's so much fun. Glory to God. Now it says in verse 5, Sacrifice and offerings that was not desired, but a body that was prepared for me. Go with me to the original quotation, which is Psalms 40. And we're going to see something tonight that is a sacrifice that God wants. When you come tomorrow, please bring your Bible, okay? You do not go into battle without your M16, amen? Psalms 40, Psalm of David, verse 6 is the quotation in the book of Hebrews 10. Sacrifice and mill offerings thou hast not desired, what has happened? Exactly, my ears thou hast opened. The actual Hebrew is my ears thou hast excavated or pierced. So why does the Hebrew, by David, say my ears you excavated or pierced, okay? But why does the Septuagint translating this translation say body instead of ears? Because the writers of the Septuagint understood what David was saying by the Spirit. When God has your hearing excavated he has your whole body what's the first commandment brothers and sisters good hear O Israel Jesus said and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart the first commandment is to listen when Solomon last time I was here I told you guys when Solomon asked for wisdom first Kings chapter 3 he did not ask for brain tissue an IQ like Einstein okay he didn't ask for wisdom in all these species and zoology and names and plants, okay, like most people think. When he asked for wisdom, it's the original Hebrew, lev shomea, which means a hearing heart. Solomon asked for an open satellite dish to hear. To do what? Just to hear God's voice? I love you. You love me. Oh. No. I will give me a hearing heart that I may discern between good and evil so how else can I judge your people? Oh, don't you judge. Wait a minute here. Jesus tells us to judge. Hello? Judge them by their fruits. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, why do you have lawsuits with one another? We're going to judge angels one day. Are you still with me tonight? When Jesus said, do not judge, you should be judged, it's the idea, do not condemn, lest you be condemned. But we have a right to be fruit inspectors. We have a right to assess troop strength, amen? Hello? Psalms 40, let's go, let's finish this up. So it says here in verse 6, my ears thou hast opened. So the sacrifice that God is looking for is not all of our prayers and all these other things, but obedience. Now, when David says, my ears thou hast pierced or excavated, it is directly from the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 21. Hallelujah. Now, Exodus 21 says, Woo! Hallelujah! I just got a revelation tonight. Wow! Can I share something with you I've never preached on before? I just saw something in the scripture. 
Now, you don't know, last time I preached about the place a little bit. There's a secret place where Bethel, the house of God, the theophany happened. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob knew about this secret zone, okay, that Moses just calls the place there in the hill country of Israel where theophanies came. What's interesting that when God, I've been thinking a lot about um, the altars that God wants us to build are altars of uncut stone that no tool has ever touched. Now look, look at the scripture here, Exodus 20 and verse 25. Hallelujah! And if you make an altar of stone for me, you shall not build it of cut stone. For if you weld your tool on it, you profane it. And you shall not go up by steps to my altar that your nakedness may not be exposed on it. Could it be the rampage of sexual sin that's come into the church? And a plague is because we're building altars with our own tools and our own ideas, and they're not the altars of heaven's stones, but man's stone. Oh, it happens all the time. You find an area where there's, you know, people have an upper standard of living, and you go in and get demographic survey, okay, socioeconomic, okay, we're going to release a couple from our church to go plant a church there, okay, and they start a church in a school, and it gets growing, and they get everybody busy from the cradle to the grave, you know, and start a Christian school and a Christian university, and, and suddenly they have, you know, a few hundred people, whatever, and things just fall apart because they built a church based on what man wanted, and it was not true altar of God. My altar shall be uncut stone. Hallelujah. This is heavy. I'm telling you, I, know, I feel the glory of God right now. Hallelujah. And folks, listen, I love you. I'm not trying to hear to mess anybody up. But I want you to hit this place. I want you to hit this zone. Amen. Because I don't know if I'll see you again. I'm going to Israel. Who knows what's going to happen? Hallelujah. Our destiny is set. Glory to God. Hallelujah. But there's too many churches that are built by the hand of man. And then we ask God to bless it. Verse 21. These are chapter 21, verse 1. And these are the ordinances which you are to set before them. If you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve for six years, but on the seventh he shall go out as a free man without payment. And in verse 5 is what I want to center in on as the sacrifice that God wants tonight. We studied tonight a lot of things, but things I want to close in on right now is the Lord wants the sacrifice, and the sacrifice he wants is a sacrifice not just of a clean heart, and pure hands, not just of worshiping him, giving finances. It's a clean heart of total commitment of obedience. And this sacrifice is the only sacrifice he wants. All the sacrifices are secondary to him. We notice that this same Hebrew word used in Hebrews is used by David, that this sacrifice is actually uh, ears that are opened. So we know to listen to God and to obey God is a sacrifice. But now we see the whole idea of your ears being excavated or pierced has to do with being a Hebrew slave. 
And it says in verse 5, But if the slave plainly says, I, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I'll not go out as a free man. Then his master shall bring him to God, and shall bring him to the door of the doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ear with an awl and serve him permanently. So let's say I'm a slave and I've served this household faithfully and, and I have my freedom, okay? And I'm released and hallelujah. And then I realize, you know, I love my master and his house more than my own freedom. And then I come back and I now enter into a zone that's purely voluntary, but is the ultimate sacrifice, which is called to be a bondservant. And we see this in, in Paul's life. His early letters, he says, Paul, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we see at the end of Paul's life, he says in Philippians, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Something happened in Paul's experience that funneled him away from just being a servant and being free in Christ and being a son of God. He now came back and totally dedicated himself as a bondservant. And that is the sacrifice God's looking for. It's not the blood of bulls and goats and all these things. He's looking for people that will have an excavated or pierced ear, okay? And this is not something cute. You go to the mall and get your ear pierced, okay? We're talking about a piece of your ear is left behind on the door, okay? It's a very bloody process. It's the ultimate sign of total surrender and total love is for you to walk through the market and you have part piece of your ear missing. Everybody knows that you belong to somebody else totally. And it's a very powerful symbol in the ancient Near Eastern culture. But it's interesting, it says here, he shall take him to the door and put his ear on the door and hammer it to the door. Now the word doorpost in Hebrew is mezuzah. And on the doorpost is the mezuzah, with, which says, Shomer Dele Israel, guard the doors of Israel. Inside of it is the scroll, Deuteronomy chapter 6, Hero Israel. So let's say I, I'm, I'm a, you know, I own some slaves, whatever, in the Hebrew culture, and I come back from a long trip or working out in the fields, and I come back, and, and I see on my doorpost the mezuzah, hero Israel, okay? And next to that are some dried ears. And I say to myself, there is a man or there's a woman in this house who loves me more than their own freedom. Hallelujah. I can trust him with everything. And that's what the sacrifice God's looking for. Can I show you one more scripture? Go to 1 Samuel 11. Excuse me, 2 Samuel 11. You may be wondering what is David's greatest downfall, the man after God's own heart who wrote about this. His greatest downfall was not just Bathsheba, it was murdering Bathsheba's husband. Do you all know what Bathsheba's husband's name was? Uriah. You know what Uriah means in Hebrew? The glory of the Lord. Uriah, the light or glory of the Lord. And why this was the tremendous downfall to David's ministry was this, that it says in chapter 11, that verse 9, that basically David said, hey, go home, be with your wife, 
And instead, Uriah did not go home. What did he do? It says in verse 9, Uriah slept at the door, or Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the other servants. Because that's what bond servants do. Because once you put your ear on the door, your whole life is, what does the king say? What does my master say that I may serve him? We don't understand this here in the West, but I was reading Ariel Sharon's autobiography, and during, uh, when he was prime minister, he went to visit Anwar Sadat, or excuse me, when he was defense minister, visit Anwar Sadat, the former prime minister of Egypt, uh, of Egypt president of Egypt. And he said it was the most amazing thing. He was in his office with Anwar Sadat, and suddenly Anwar Sadat just went like this real quietly. Barely even hear it. And suddenly servants rushed in right away. Yes, master, what would you like? Meaning that these men's whole lives was go at the beck and call of whatever the president wanted. <laughs> Come on, folks. Hallelujah. And this is what it means to be a servant of God. Not just a daughter and son, but a servant, a handmaiden of the Lord. The word leader is not used very much in the Bible, but servant is. And in this culture, we usually serve ourselves instead of somebody else. And the way you serve God is by physically putting your ear on the door, so to speak, to serve somebody else. And I smell a sacrifice tonight. Hallelujah. Now, a lot of you love the Lord and, you know, want to go forward with God, etc. But I heard this word tonight that for you guys to spiritually put your ear on the door. Saying, Lord, we thank you for freedom. It's awesome, isn't it? But now the Lord wants to sacrifice. We've been free by the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. Now he wants us to put our ear on the door. And say, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. Now let's go back to Hebrews thing. I'll show you one more thing about it. This is so powerful. Whoa! Scott, you just keep on preaching. I know. Somebody's pulling the word out of me. Look at Hebrews 10, verse 13 again. Look at this. Waiting from that time onward till his enemies made a footstool. Well, what does that mean? It means this. Look at this. Verse 9. Behold, I have come to do thy will. He establishes, he takes away the first in order to establish the second. What's being said here in Hebrews? That the sacrifice God's looking for is not blood of bulls and goats. He actually says he hates it. It was all pointing to Jesus, okay? That Jesus became the ultimate sacrifice to please the Father when he was in the garden. When he said, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus didn't want to drink the cup. He asked the Lord to take it from him. Can you imagine that? The Son of God, the Word made flesh, did not want to do this. But he said, Lord, he said, Abba, not my will, but your will be done. Daddy, Papa. And when he drank that cup, when he sweat blood in the garden, okay, it changed everything in the universe. And it put his enemies under his feet. Now the next step is the Lord himself is wooing you and I to make a second commitment after we're born again. And he goes to great lengths and uses great circumstances and effort. Hallelujah. The 30-dimensional chess board game. Hallelujah. 
And all these different Christ instances in your life and connections and intersections and time to get you softened to the place where you are willing with your own free will and with no controlling aspect from him at all that you say, you know, Lord, I thank you so much for my freedom, but I want to be your slave. And out of your own free will, hallelujah, Lord, thank you for my freedom, but I want to totally put my ear on your door and do whatever you want me to do. That's what brings the enemy under our feet. That's what establishes the second. That's what establishes a next move of God. When God can find people in a certain locale who became his bondservants. Hallelujah. Now, when you're in a bondservant mode, you, you can't protect yourself very much. And that's what happens. When David killed Uriah, the judgment of God came on David and never recovered from it. The Bible says in Revelation, how long, O Lord, will you be pay, uh, uh, how long before you vindicate the blood of your bondservants? You see, when people kill God's, not just Christians, but the bondservants, it releases the wrath of God upon a culture, a city, a nation, or a civilization. You say, why are you talking about this? Because this tribulation period ain't going to kick in until the bondservants are sealed in their foreheads. <laughs> and whether those 144,000 are just Christians or just Jews, it doesn't matter, okay? There's going to be a sealing in the foreheads of God's bondservants. And when that sealing happens, then everything on the earth is going to be shaken. So you know, preaching a message like this and the other messages around the world, people are hearing the same thing, that we're moving into this place of ultimate sacrifice, not just be a Christian, but an ultimate bondservant of him. That means we're being prepared for an end-time scenario of shaking and victory upon planet Earth that we've never seen before. Hallelujah! Now, I don't know how to get you all guys to this place, but I just know that oh, I've already done it. Hallelujah! I've put my ear on the door several years ago, and I've never looked back. The best way to call it is sheer obedience. And when God says, I need you to be in Israel, hey, there's no questioning, there's no doubt, we're there. And the finances roll in and blessings happen. I want you guys to get to that place. God may tell you to move to Mexico and be there the rest of your life. God may tell you to be here the rest of your life. All you have to just say that, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. What is, Lord, I'd do anything you want me to do. If you want me to go to Afghanistan the rest of my life, I'll go, Lord. Hallelujah. Speak, your servant is listening. Hallelujah, that's right. If Samuel can do that as a young man, an adolescent, why can't our sons and daughters do it? That's what attracted me to Brad was he told me on the phone, he said, man, I just tired of the stuff. I just want God. I want revival. I want a move of the Spirit. Hallelujah. I can preach this because I've done it. Has it been difficult? Uh, yes. How much did it cost you? Everything. 
what is the, what are the benefits out of this world? <laughs> no, I want to be serious about though. You're gonna have to sweat blood, so to speak. <laughs> Symbolic, not necessarily literal, but there will come a point you don't want to do this. I remember traveling. I remember I remember Kenneth Hagin as a young believer always would talk about how he traveled for 25, 30 years on the road and he'd be doing revival meetings and he just wanna be in the hotel room and just kick out all the lamps. He was so mad, you know? Because he didn't want to travel. He wanted to be home with his family, you know. And so he decided, you know, I'm gonna go and start pastoring a church again. And he went home in a beautiful church and they promised him a lot of different salary and his wife was excited and you know, and the kids were excited because they would see daddy more, you know, and, and so he went in there and suddenly he had a heart attack. The first day he was in that church, he was having a heart attack. And he felt his feet go cold as his, you know, his, his blood stopped and he felt himself about to spring out of his body. And suddenly his wife runs in. She's screaming, oh God. She falls down. She doesn't pray for him to be healed. You know what she does? God, forgive me. Because she was at home mad, doing the dishes, having to raise the kids, was so upset with God saying, why did you take my husband away? God, forgive me for saying that. And Brother Hagin said, Lord, forgive me, forgive me, Lord. I'll go back on the road. And suddenly he came back in his body and was instantly healed. Never had a heart problem after that ever again. I don't know what your cross is. I know what my cross was. Okay? I know my cross. You know, being away from my family, my kids. You meet them, you know, you'll, you'll love them. And, but God won't let me just pastor and stay home. He won't let me stay in America. <laughs> we have to obey. There's no other option. And so I don't know what your cross is. I've, I've paid a price. I've paid the price for friends and relationships. I've paid the price. The price is not easy, brothers and sisters. But those who pay the price and what he says to do, watch what happens in you. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you for letting me share my heart tonight. He said, what are we going to do? Well, and we're not going to end the service. There's no ending here. There's no final amen. Because you're going to go back to your houses, or your houses, your apartments, whatever, or your RV, fifth wheel, hallelujah. <laughs> and you're going to commune with him. And you're going to say, Lord, change me here. And Lord, can you tweak this in my life? And Okay, Lord, I'm sorry for that. And, uh, and you're going to come to a place where you're saying, Lord, I have nobody else but you. Might as well go all the way. <laughs> Hallelujah. It's not about us. It's not about me. It's not about you. If you believe that Jesus rose from the dead, how many people believe that? Guess what the next verse is. And confess with your mouth, Jesus is how about this? Full owner. Master. You know what Lord is in Hebrew? Adoni. It means master. Hallelujah. <laughs> Lord.
So if he's Lord, he should have a say-so what we watch and what we listen to. Amen? Our greatest prayer and our shortest prayer should be, Lord, your will be done today. You know that song, this is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made. Uh, wrong melody. It's taken from Psalms 118. This is the this is the psalm they sang on their way to Gethsemane. This is the day. Woo! Wrong melody. Psalms 118, this is the day that the builders rejected the cornerstone. Yet the Lord has made what the builders rejected the chief cornerstone. This is the day. This is my hour in the garden. Come on, folks. Hallelujah. This is the day. And something happens inside of you that you never again have to go on a long fast or a long begging prayer request. Because what you need is what he needs. Hallelujah. There's something, a catheterization, a, a, a welding, a, an ending. There's something happens in your lower nature where things that used to tempt you don't tempt you anymore. It's like a firewall. Something comes up inside. Hallelujah. That you realize, wow, I'm a dead man. Satan can't tempt the dead man. Hallelujah. And then there'll be spouses or husbands or children or in-laws. They'll act like outlaws, whatever. They won't understand it. And that's where Jesus says your greatest enemies are the members of your own household because they know you how you were, not how you are. And you have to go through that whole thing, amen? And you got to love them and be patient, amen? But at the same time, you don't trust them. Jesus, your mother wants you. My mother and brothers are those that do the will of God. Can you imagine how his Jewish mother felt? Oh, <laughs> but there's a sweetness. There's a zone, folks. It doesn't take a lot of people to get into it. But once we're in it, God will move heaven and earth. God will do things in this city just for you. Because you're his servant. You're his handmaiden. Because your whole life is in him. Hallelujah. And the devil knows this. People get touched by God. They want to do this. And then the devil leads them into a mon monastic lifestyle or to be a nun or something, okay? And the devil. Or they go live in a monastery somewhere and separate from civilization. No, no. There's a ceiling of the bondservants right now. In the book of Revelation, he's sealing those who fear God. You ever read that scripture in Ezekiel? It says that, um, that go through the streets of Jerusalem and mark on people's heads that fear God. Did you know what the word, that, the word that says mark in Hebrew? You know what it is? It's the ancient Tav letter in Hebrew. It's the last letter of the alphabet in Hebrew. And the ancient Tav was not an X, it was a cross. So all these people with crosses on their head were the ones that were sighing over the abominations of Jerusalem. 
The Tav modern is like that. The Tav, the ancient one, is more of a, a cross, okay? Isn't that amazing? All these people in Ezekiel's day walking through the city with a, a cross on their forehead. You know, can you imagine this? I, I'm, a, I'm a parent. I have three daughters. My oldest daughter, she's almost 16, and she emailed me just recently on this trip and says, Abba, when you come home, go, I want you to buy me a promise ring because I want to be a virgin until I'm married. No, that blessed me, right? How much more when we say to Abba, Abba, I just want to be pure from this world. I'm yours. Come on, folks. If we know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will our Father give good gifts to those who fear him? Oh, oh, oh. I can trust my daughter now. Because I know, I know, I know her already in the spirit. But now I see she's rising up, okay? And when we say the same thing to Abba, how much more will he say, you know what? Give him another legion of angels down there. Hallelujah. <laughs> but I'm moving. This is something I never said before publicly. I'll say it now. You want me to be quiet? I'll be quiet if you want me to. You want me? It's just kind of flowing tonight. Okay, I will. When Abraham did not have a son, the custom of the ancient nomadic society was to give their inheritance to their chief servant, Eliezer. So Eliezer of Damascus was going to inherit all of Abraham's inheritance, okay? And then he had a son to inherit it, okay? And so I'm thinking, you know, could it be this wealth transfer that's coming to the church in these last days, amen? The latter glory will be greater than the former, amen? The gold and silver is mine. He's going to, oh, hallelujah, the transfer of the wicked coming in to finance this end-time harvest. Hallelujah! has been held up until we come of age. I love you, Jesus. Until we come to a place of maturity that he can trust us. Would you be here tonight if you had $50 million? If you had $50 million, would you be here tonight? Or would you be in your yacht in Tahiti, Maui? I mean, really, I mean, we need to ask ourselves. So could it be this whole process, process, process if you're in Canada, <laughs> that he wants to shower out things that our eye has not seen, ear has not heard. Hallelujah. But he's waiting to us to come to this place of maturity where we say, not my will, but your will be done. And something happens in us. And then the gold and the glory and the silver and whatever else will never lead us astray. Because money will test your true character. And so we become a bondservant. All we want to do is serve him. Wow, hallelujah. It doesn't matter if I sleep in a ditch or sleep in the Ritz. It doesn't matter. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So we're being prepared, and not just to carry the finances. Paul tells Timothy, I want you to raise up faithful men who teach others. And the word faithful there is the same Greek word for an ancient safety deposit box. That the people that Paul told to Timothy to raise up were those that were faithful to keep 
like a safety deposit box. Okay, you can see one movie, okay? <laughs> Ben-Hur. You can watch Ben-Hur, okay? Don't cry too much at the end. It's really anointed, okay? <laughs> I love Ben-Hur, too. It's my favorite movie. We wore it out, we wear it out at home. Remember that one part where his old faithful friend, Eliezer, who gets put in prison and beaten up, you know? And... Uh, how he was a such a faithful servant to Charlton Heston or Ben Hur, you know. Remember that? That's what it's like, brothers and sisters. You know, there comes a, a time in everybody's life that you have to make a decision. Are you going to use the God given talents He's given you to serve yourself or to serve others? That moment's upon us tonight. The spring's going to kick in, and summer will be here before you know it. Kids will be out of school, all types of things going on, you know. Is this going to be another summer of our own choosing or God's choosing? We could go home and not do much this week and just, you know, or we could press in this week. Put our ear on the door like Samuel. Speak. Thy servant is listening. Hallelujah. Oh, glory to God. Reach a place of sensitivity to his voice. That if he wants something done, it come right to you. I have a mission for you, son, daughter. Oh, good. <laughs> you choose to accept. I accept. <laughs> Let's do it, Lord. I'm serious when I say we should build a shofar in Hollywood. We need to pray when we make a decision tomorrow. Let's pray. Father, let's all stand up. You can kneel, whatever you want to do. Let's just pray about this. Lord, is it time for a road trip? Hallelujah. Lord, I told him to be just zeal. Lord, I want you to be involved in this. But, Lord, we have some high-value targets in that area. Oh, that you want to shake up? Lord, we know that you want to shake California for your glory. Lord, we know that, oh, hallelujah. The entertainment industry, all that's been released, the plague upon this land needs to be shut down. People to be born again. Lord, give us the precise coordinates and time to launch. Let all the babysitters be in place to watch the little ones. Hallelujah. Let people's work time be available, hallelujah, to go into an area, to sound the trumpet, to show, prophesy, to flow in the spirit as a tactical warfare unit. Thank you, Father God.
for corruption to be exposed. Sleeper cells of terrorists. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for being a part of Rivers in the Desert International, listening to our message today to you. Perhaps you have a friend, perhaps yourself are sitting there and wondering, where would I go if I died today? We'd like to give you a great privilege of praying with us and leading you to a knowledge of Jesus the Messiah. The Bible says, if any man or woman would call upon the name of Jesus, they would be saved. The Greek word for saved is healed, delivered. It's a wonderful promise. You're there now in your automobile, perhaps at home listening. Go ahead and pray this prayer with me. Say, Dear Father, I ask you in the name of Jesus to forgive me of my sins. The Bible says, if anybody would call upon your name, they'd be saved. I'm calling today, Lord. Save me. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Take all of my sins and cast them into the sea of forgetfulness. Father, I'm coming, running home to you now. In your name I pray, amen. If you'd like to contact us in our ministry, you may do so by writing us at Rivers in the Desert, P.O. Box 2788 in Alpharetta, Georgia, 30023 in the United States of America. Our ministry phone number is 770-777-0143. Of course, you can reach us anytime, 24-7, at our website contact page at www.flashfloods.com. Looking forward to hearing from you. We are here to help equip you to be tactical warriors in this hour, to wake up this church, to win and disciple lost souls, and to take out terrorism of all forms. God bless you. I'm looking forward to hearing from you. Shalom, shalom. Shalom.